On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to this episode of the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. I'm Jessica Crisp, and I'm not your normal host. Where's Ryan? Don't worry, he's here. Hey, everybody. For those of you that have been listening for a while, you know that here at the E-Series, we have a set groove to our podcast. We have a great background beat and interview wonderful guests. There's something nice about that consistent groove and knowing what to expect. As a planner at heart, I appreciate that. But today is the exception as we throw that groove right out the window. If you tuned in today in hopes of that vibe, I am really sorry, but please don't go anywhere. We're mixing things up for our third annual year in review episode. Hard to believe it's been three years. You just said third annual year in review. Has it really been that long? Yeah, it's hard to believe that the E-Series has been here since 2020. We've seen a lot of change in the world, and a lot has changed for our podcast in that time, too. So true. And that brings us to today. I'm really excited about this year in review episode because we're going to do something a little extra fun. Well, I think it'll be fun. Ryan, he's just being a good sport. I certainly am up to trying here. You know it's hard to share that fuzzy microphone, Jessica. This time, I'm excited to host the E-Series and have Ryan, the official voice of the E-Series, as the special guest. Today, we'll explore our highest-ranked episodes of 2023 and have a candid discussion about some of the most impactful moments. This should be fun. If you say so, Jessica. Oh, it's going to be fine, I promise. But before we jump into our first episode, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role with the E-Series? Sure. I joined Hospice of the Piedmont in May 2019, originally as the volunteer coordinator. I am now the director of community engagement and education, which means that my team and I oversee how we coordinate educational opportunities with other community organizations, churches, universities, and local civic groups. My team is also responsible for volunteer recruitment efforts, trainings, and supervising ongoing volunteer services. The E-Series has been an interesting project, born out of the COVID pandemic, and it has evolved a lot over the years. I work behind the scenes to plan content and the flow of the program, organize and prep our guest speakers, and capture the recorded episode before handing it off to you to polish up and publish. So even though you're the voice of the E-Series, you're off the mic during the final recordings. Is it ever difficult to be so quiet while the conversation's going on? I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts that come to mind. That's one of the reasons I'm excited to hear your thoughts today. As an aside, I know I speak for our organization and the E-Series listeners when I say thank you for all your efforts to create relevant and valuable content with the E-Series. It is my pleasure, and it's always exciting and maybe a relief to see the progression of ideas become full episodes. I'm looking forward to diving into some of our most listened episodes today um, from this past year and getting to share some of the background commentary that did cross my mind during those conversations. Great. Let's jump right in. First, we're going to take a look back at the number four most streamed episode of 2023, Engaging the Millennial Caregiver. This episode featured April Franklin, the founder of Fresh Wave Care, 
and the creator of the Millennial's Guide to Caregiving brand. Let's listen to this episode clip. Um, so millennials were are born between the time period of 1981 and 1996. And so with, within any generation, there are similarities, but some differences as well. Um, so you have millennial caregivers or millennials period who are establishing themselves in their careers. They're just getting started trying to figure out the whole adult life. Then you have older millennials who are more established in their careers, but also building families. Um, and so that creates a different dynamic when you bring up the conversation of caregiving and some of the challenges that each um, millennial may face during that time period. Yeah, because I suspect they're thinking about, well, gosh, I, at at my current age, you know, at, in my 30s, I'm not really prepared to care for someone who is of, you know, double my age, for example. That's, that's not what I'm prepared for, right? Right. Um, There's so many concerns that come to mind, especially for somebody who's just now starting to get settled in their career. Um, you think about the financial implications of that, um, how it'll impact your social life. Um, it just kind of creates a lot of a fear of the unknown of how, how am I going to be able to do something like this? I really enjoyed working with April as we planned this episode. Before each recording, I tried to sit down with our guests to get to know them, hear their story, and discuss potential talking points for the episode. One of the things that stood out to me during that initial conversation with April was her collaboration in research and studies at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro with a previous E-Series guest, Dr. Elise Eifert. As a guest, Dr. Eifert spoke on caregiver identity and caregiver joy in her episodes, both of which were eye-opening topics and continue to shape how we interact with and equip the caregivers we work with. For many of our listeners who may have missed those episodes, be sure to go back and check them out. April's work echoes Dr. Eifert's in pointing out how caregivers may be regularly completing caregiver tasks, but never actually self-identify as a caregiver. As a result, they don't reach out for resources to support them in their caregiving role. If you don't think you're a caregiver, you're not going to see a value in self-care or reaching out to external resources for support. This dynamic contributes to expediting caregiver fatigue, which is, which we know can be detrimental to caregivers. April focuses on this complex issue across age groups and even gender roles, specifically focusing on millennials and male caregivers. April had a wealth of knowledge to share, and I honestly could have listened to her all day. She is such a dynamic speaker, and her passion for equipping caregivers of all ages is obvious. I agree. I, I really appreciated that April's work is all about educating people upstream, helping those who will someday be caregivers be educated and equipped in advance prior to actually becoming a caregiver. This is directly in line with the focus of our organization here at Hospice of the Piedmont. We understand the value of catching people upstream about advanced care planning, hospice care and bereavement services, sharing this knowledge before a crisis or even before they are aware of their own need. One example of this is that my team members and I do a variety of speaking engagements with the public. Recently, recently, I went to High Point University and spoke to a group of natural health fellows, all interested in future careers in medicine or similar fields. The goal was to educate them on what hospice is, to debunk myths about death, dying, and giving up, all in an effort to normalize these topics normalize. That's the perfect word here. 
I seriously doubt that any of those students woke up that morning thinking, I can't wait to go hear about hospice care. But they showed up and embraced the discomfort. And let's be honest, each time we intentionally engage in conversations about difficult topics, they become a little bit easier to process. What was your take on how the students responded to you? Well, well, there was a marked difference in how we started the conversation and how we ended it. Anytime I speak to a group, there is always someone in the crowd who says, hey, I didn't know that. This group of students was no different. There are things that we who work in the hospice field consider common knowledge that the public may not know. That no two hospices are the same or how we as a nonprofit hospice provide people with these robust services regardless of their ability to pay. That we provide free grief counseling to anyone in the community regardless of whether they had a hospice experience or not. The statistic that seems to strike people the most is that individuals on hospice care can live on average 25% longer than those with the same diagnosis that do not receive hospice care. Everyone seems to take something away from the discussion. For some of those high point university students, the greatest takeaway may just be the idea that hospice does not need to be this scary or taboo topic. It's a huge step to say, I can talk about this freely. I'm not scared. For those in the room who may have a loved one in mind that might benefit from hospice services, it makes picking up the phone just a little bit easier. So really it's about removing some of the fear from the situation. Exactly. Well, our next clip comes from the number three most streamed episode of 2023, Caregiver Excuses Stopping the Cycle of Self-Neglect. Whoa. That title is powerful and direct. I remember when we were in a planning meeting related to the work that our organization is doing to support caregivers. One of our team members who ended up being the featured guest on this episode, Kat Gibson, she's our Vice President of Clinical Services, she spoke up and said, self-neglect is one of the most challenging issues facing our caregivers. And then she added, we see it all the time. I remember instantly you, Ryan, and our CEO, Trent Cochran, looked at one another and said, that sounds like an E-Series episode. Kat was immediately invited to speak on this topic, and the rest is history. Let's listen to this clip. Generally, self-neglect is kind of the term. Um, Folks choose someone else's needs over their own, and whether that's purposeful or kind of naturally, um, they are choosing to neglect their own needs to serve someone else. Yeah, you know, as I listen, you're just describing what self-neglect actually is. I think about any number of friends of mine who have kids who, you know, make a lot of decisions sometimes about what's in the best interest of their kids. And maybe it's, you know, maybe it means that they're going to put themselves in a position to have to be in two or three different places at one time. But it's, you know, what's in the best interest for their for their kids. I mean, Talk to me a little bit about how that parallels in, you know, caring for an adult, for example. Is there any parallel at all? There absolutely is a a parallel to that. I think what you just explained with um, parents who are navigating young children, that that is quite often their first experience in choosing someone else's needs over their own. And as we grow older and generally transition into a caregiver role for maybe our aging parents, maybe even a spouse later in life, um, 
they're kind of transitioning that early learned habit of I'm going to take care of them before I take care of me. And it just kind of snowballs uh, over the course of time. And that, that learned instinct is absolutely mimicked later in life when they're in that caregiver role. Kat and Trent discussed how early learned habits of self-neglect can be mimicked later in life and even snowball. Ryan, I know you're a parent. In this season of life, do you see patterns of self-neglect or self-care that are forming? Good question. Well, I am the proud father of two beautiful girls, a seven and two-year-old. Needless to say, the Be A Junior Home is busy and there is never a dull moment, or quiet one for that matter. In general, I've not thought much about self-care personally. <clears throat> As a parent, you just kind of do what's needed. It's actually funny though that we're talking about this because my wife this year started meeting with a few moms with their little ones on Fridays. The moms group has been really encouraging to her and that small amount of recharge time goes a long way. After speaking to her, I had the idea of getting the dads together too. <clears throat> I got their phone numbers from her and reached out to introduce myself and put the idea in their heads. They were interested and were like, let's do it. Two months later, we still hadn't met. Man, it's just hard to make that first step. I ran to one of them and said, let's just get something on the calendar. So I set the time, made the plan, and we met. And it was great, Jessica. They said things like, I really needed this, and thanks so much for making this happen. Another dad shared that he needed this more than he even thought he did. And what did they each mean by this? But time and space to decompress, to share challenges, to be with other adults, and maybe just laugh a little bit. That is such a great example of self-care. Do you think you and the guys will keep meeting together? I sure do hope so. This first one was in December, so ask me again in January, and I'll let you know. <laughs> well, if poor self-care at a young age can be repeated later in life, do you agree that this implies that good self-care habits can be carried into adulthood, too? My hope is yes. Like any new thing, the more I try to incorporate it, the easier it becomes to do, and the more frequently it will happen. In the, set, in the situation I just shared, it was easy for me to find excuses to not do it. Busyness, tiredness, challenging kids, you know, life. It's easier said than done, I get it, but you don't find the time to do something you value. The time is there, you just need to set a little bit of it aside. Just like any bad habit needs to be broken and any good habit needs time to be formed. As much as practicing self-care is a good habit, it will take practice, and I'm definitely going to make it more of a priority. It was good for me to connect with these dads, and when I hear the same from them, it is all the more encouraging and affirming to keep it going. Flash forward a decade or two down the road, when I may be caring for an aging parent instead of a seven or two-year-old, my hope is that I'll be more aware of my limits and more aware of when I need to take a step back to recharge. Realizing just how helpful self-care is for me, I'll also be able to be a better advocate for others and encourage them to prioritize self-care too. You know, I think what you hit on is key. The truth is that we can't convince people that self-care is important. Just like you can't convince someone to calm down just by telling them to calm down. As a parent, you understand that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Personally, experiencing self-care and the recharging effect is the best way to realize it's helpful. Studies have shown that taking even small amounts of time for yourself, as short as 15 minutes, 
can have a lasting impact on the caregiver's ability to care for their loved one. I know we could talk about self-care all day, but for those of you interested in learning more, be sure to check out the show notes for this episode or visit www.hospiceofthepiedmont.org. Okay, now hang on because we're going to do a hard pivot as we listen to the next clip from the number two most streamed episode in 2023, The Power of Presence. Let's listen in. One of the things that I, it, I've been taught at uh, Wake Baptist is, uh, and I'm, I, I was trained in this in the Stephen ministry as well, is, is how important it is to listen. Hmm. Um, that's why God gave us two ears and one mouth. It's a ministry of silence, I'd like to say. Um, learning to avoid platitudes. Um, sometimes saying saying nothing at all is the prudent thing to do. Just, just be there. And like I said earlier, uh, people don't remember what you said. They remember who was there with them through their hard yeah. times. One of the reasons that this is one of my favorite episodes, and I'm not sure if it was the same for our listeners, is that this is less of a topical conversation and more of a personal spotlight. You see, I've known Rick for years, but doing this episode, I learned so many new things about him, his previous work, and his family. Who knew that his daughter is a celebrity makeup artist? I sure didn't. As much as I enjoyed learning about him, I always loved the opportunity to highlight our volunteers and the important and incredible work that they do. I appreciate all of Hospice of the Piedmont's many gifted and selfless volunteers and the many ways that they contribute to our organization. Most people might not realize this, but as a hospice organization, we're required by law to have a minimum of 5% of our patient care hours as volunteer hours. This means that for every 100 hours of patient care provided by our clinical staff, we need to have five or more volunteer hours. So our volunteers are essential, but they also provide, as you hear from Rick, a personal, compassionate, and empathetic skill set, along with a desire to sit and be present with our hospice patients. Our volunteers really are the best, and I love the way that Rick shared about the power of silence. Me too. Sitting in silence is hard for me. There, I said it. If there is silence, my impulse is to fill it. Personally, I am a fixer and a doer. So when I hear about a problem, my immediate reaction is to make it right or to figure out what I can do to help. What Rick shared flips that. It's not about what I can say or do to make something better. It's about utilizing my two God-given ears to listen. There may be more good done in sitting in silence than filling the void with my own rambling or platitudes. Which reminds me of another previous E-Series episode, Toxic Positivity. One of our medical providers, Dr. Karen Cross, shared how people can intend to make things better by saying things like, just think positive thoughts, things will work out. You wouldn't be given this situation if you weren't strong enough to bear it, or just pray and everything will be okay. When in actuality, these types of comments aren't only unhelpful, but downplay the other person's feelings and can create relational isolation. I'm learning time and time again that was often the most helpful is to simply sit with someone in their difficult circumstances. That is so true. And speaking of difficult circumstances, the number one most streamed episode of this year, When Nothing Else Can Be Done, focuses directly on this topic. In this episode, Leslie Groves, palliative counselor for Novant Health, 
and our CEO, Trent Cochran, explore the conversations and emotions that individuals and their family members may experience when facing a difficult medical diagnosis and trying to process how to move forward in the face of uncertainty of what the future may hold. Let's listen in. That, um, hearing that phrase, there's nothing more we can do for you, uh, is really a misnomer. Hmm. Um, it is really um, what I think the providers intend to mean is there's nothing more aggressive we can do for you. Um, but that's the beauty of palliative where we can come in and say, so there's no more aggressive options, but there's always things that we can still do for you. Uh, it's it's about maybe a shift in goals, a shift in, as you've always said, wants, needs, and priorities at that point. Right. Um, it's really kind of reframing what does that mean? Um, for some, hearing that information is terrifying, and uh, they never wanted to reach that point of hearing that. For some, it's a relief for some, it means now I can stop coming in and out and doing scans and treatment and dialysis. And now I can focus on what's really important to me and my family. As we listen back to this clip, it's hard to know where to begin. Leslie and Trent touch on a lot of important points. What are your thoughts on what Leslie shared about the definition of suffering being individualized? I think Leslie hits this spot on. <clears throat> we all have our own degrees of tolerance of pain, be it physical, emotional, existential. But I also hear that the concern may also vary between one's own suffering and the fear of their loved one's suffering as a result. Surprise, surprise, but I am once again reminded of a previous E-Series episode from our Intersection of Faith and Health series. While speaking on suffering, Chaplain Brooks Johnson at High Point Medical Center makes the comment, it's not abandoning hope, but reframing the pursuit of hope. I think that statement is a great summary of what Leslie shared in this episode. Nothing else can be done really means let's create new goals that focus on comfort and peace, a new measure of life honing in on quality rather than quantity, a new pursuit of hope in attempting to restore relationships and make intentional memories with loved ones that will last forever. Yeah, this really does come full circle. Maybe at the end of the day, my hope is that we can normalize how individualized experiences can be. Priorities look different to everyone. Suffering looks different to everyone. Hope looks different to everyone. And the same is true for the caregiver experience. It's completely individualized in the way that it impacts someone. What if instead of predicting someone's response to these life experiences or approaching them in the way that we expect them to feel, we give space for people to share where they are and then join them in those moments, which circles all the way back to the power of presence. Well said. As we mentioned earlier, we recently celebrated the third anniversary of the E-Series. As we reflect on the content we've had so far, what strikes me the most is that our listeners are drawn to the episodes that explore uncomfortable topics, anticipatory grief, health disparities, and even the episode we previously mentioned about toxic positivity. Even if we're not comfortable asking the questions, we want to better understand the topics and how it impacts our life and the lives of those around us. 
These conversations, in addition to Leslie's episode, help normalize difficult topics and also equip us with skills to be more self-aware, more accountable, and better advocates for those around us. What an honor it is to be a part of the E-Series team and support these efforts. I agree. It's a pleasure to be part of what we are doing with the E-Series. It's been so for three years, and I hope we get to keep doing it for a lot more to come. And in particular, I'm excited to see what this next year will bring. Me too. And speaking of that, can you give us any on-the-mic clues of what's coming up next for the E-Series? Well, plans are underway for the fourth season of the E-Series. I'm excited for the guests we'll have next year. I can't share too much, but I will say that some of the episodes will echo our caregiving focus that continues to be on the forefront of our mind as an organization. In addition, we'll have some special guests that touch on relevant topics, and we'll get to hear from a few more of our incredibly gifted volunteers. It's going to be a great season. Yeah, I know it will be. As we wrap up this episode, we want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to the E-Series. We are grateful for each of you, and we wish you the very best this holiday season. And one quick reminder, you'll find links in the show notes for all the episodes we referenced today. Be sure to check them out. Until next time, I'm Ryan Biagini. And I'm Jessica Chris. And And this this has been been the E-Series.